Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast and feed. Uh, this is your one-stop shop for all your New Japan needs here on the ESSR feed. I am your host, Scott McLeod, and with me is always to go through the interesting you know, journey that we're taking on the road to Wrestle Kingdom across Japan and the USA ahead of World Tag League. Uh, all the big surprises, but no, nothing more shocking than when we both discovered that Yota Suji and Andy from Rev Pro were on the ITV show In For A Penny. And sadly, Stephen Mulhern did not get a spear from the Gene Blaster. He is Grammick Robbie. Pleasure to be here. And yes, that was one of the most surreal encounters for us being on British television we've had in the last few days. <laughs> I don't know if this is like while he was on his discouraging or anything, because he's got like the long hair and the, the beard and everything. And I'm just watching it and he just... When Stephen Miller and Freddie's the wrestling usually starts going to full on pose more like ah, it's just, it's just ah, and he it just it's the answers that he was getting right as well. That was a big right. surprise. <laughs> Madonna, Madonna. <laughs> we got a guy on a quiz show who, you know, you know, he spent some time in the UK. English is not his first language, and he's the one who's got to make the who's got to answer the questions. I don't know whose idea that was. But you know, it's not the weirdest news regarding British TV and wrestling is somebody shared in one of the chat that well Osprey's expressed interest on being put on Strictly Come Dancing. Now, if that was to actually happen, I think we would need to bring bring in some sort of watch along series on the podcast for that. Is Jack Graham? He's a big Strictly fan, just like me, so it would be watched. Oh yeah, I'd watch it. I mean. <laughs> I think I saw somebody, I can't remember who it was, I can't credit them, but they were sharing a, a meme of the judges all giving tens and replace all of their heads with Dave Meltzer, showing what would happen when Osprey goes on strictly. But I, I just imagine, you know, obviously everyone's like in the group chat, like, oh, he's no famous enough. Like, hey, fuck it though. Like, you'll be the, you'll be for ITV, the novelty pick, or BBC, whatever the fuck produces it, the novelty pick, but you'll be the one people are talking about, I guarantee you. The people just shock everybody the second week he hits an Oscar on his own partner. I think the hardest part for putting Osprey into is strictly the fact that they'd have to change the showtime because of the swearing. Oh, yeah. And the amount of times he says fucking bruv all the time. Like, I love Osprey for a moment, but every so often I just listen to him like, one or two less bruvs, you know, you're going to fill Essex, never go fill Essex. <laughs> bruv, bruv, that is easy at eight. <laughs> Seven? What do you mean seven? 
<laughs> kind of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. on it now as well. I know. Big like a streak of piss like him on that. Like, but seven. I knew you were a bunch of Tories. But, hey, surely that would be too Tory for him. I'm a celebrity, though. I could see Zack Sabre Jr. doing well, and I'm a celebrity. Other than the fact that the vegan lifestyle means no bug eating for him, no eating kangaroo testicles and stuff. Yeah. Or unless he's assured beforehand by Ian and Dick, like, this, this kangaroo died of natural causes, now eat its bollocks. <laughs> and you oh. blame it on Boris Bloody Johnson. Oh, can you imagine that you had him on the, the last... Oh, Bloody Nigel Farage going in on the most recent season, that's been a big talking point. Imagine Bloody Zach Sabre Jr. in with him. I just can't wait for the footage at two in the morning when Zach just sneaks over to, to like in Nigel's hammock and puts him in some sort of god-awful submission. I know this is not the kind of conversation you were expecting here on the New Japan show, but I'm going to because I was going to make a joke about Matt Hancock because he was on uh, Strictly recently. I was listening to an interview with the comedian Sean Walsh today who was on the same season as him and they're in the hotel like before going into the jungle and there's like paparazzi floating around. And so Matt Hancock somehow got his Tom Walsh's number and called him and goes, Oh, he tells him this paparazzi and goes, So what you so what you, what should I do? And he says, Stay inside, I'll tell you when it's safe to come out again. And he's like, Are you putting me in lockdown? <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Speaking of we mentioned Osprey though, so I think we should talk about some little bit of contractual news before we get into the actual shows of the last month. Osprey obviously has been a big talking point. I think it said in, towards the end of February, as his you know contract is up, and it seems like all three of the big promotions want him. And TNA wants him. You know he's wrestled for them as Impact. He got them their second ever five star match. You know him versus Mike Bailey at Burn for Glory. He wrestled against Josh Alexander on Impact. He's wrestled against Eddie Edwards at Turning Point in Newcastle. So he has wrestled for Impact Wrestling, but he's never got a chance to wrestle for them. It's TNA, and he's talked openly in interviews recently about his love of TNA when he was younger and watching them on on British TV because everyone in the UK could get a hold of TNA because it was on terrestrial TV. But obviously, of course, given his recent appearances for them, AEW are going to want to get him, and apparently WWE are making big plays for Will Ospreay. So, you know, Will Ospreay is very much the bell of the ball at the minute in the wrestling world. That's it. He has all the options available to him, and it is a big case of thinking what company would become the best and give him the best deal. And and it's like WWE could be the one for him because Big Trips is in charge. He knows how to book people like that and make them interesting again, not get the Vince treatment. Mm. But Japan is in for a big loss if he does indeed go to one of these three companies. I mean, if he goes to like EWR Impact, I think he's got the option open to him to make a couple of one-off appearances, like when King Omega reappeared recently. Like Ozzy Open could always return uh, to Impact uh, to New Japan under under the EW contract, because you know, because we're going to talk about World Tag later on, and I would like to think that if Mark Davis hadn't got injured back at Wrestle Dream, those two would be a part of this year's tournament as well. But you know, we look at it, I think New Japan. If you look at it, I think AEW would be the least newsworthy of the three, personally, because, you know, he's been there before. Because, uh, you know, TNA, I don't think he would go because of the money. You know, they probably would try their best to give him what they what he thinks he's worth. 
because apparently he's hired famous like wrestling agent, you know, Barry Bloom, who he's he's re- he's represented fucking Hulk Hogan in the past. So, but to show you what how what kind of money he's looking for, I don't think TNA would pay him the money that he's looking for. But for, if he's going for like the past somewhere where he's passionate about doing something new for wrestling, he would go to TNA. Whereas you going to WWE, that would be following the money. And also, just I agree with what a lot of people said. I want to see Osprey in WWE just to see what that would look like. Because, you know, before WrestleMania 38, I don't think any of us could envision what Night, American Nightmare version of Cody Rhodes would look like in a WWE ring, but we've got it now. Uh, so, just for the sheer sight of it, if you get what I mean. Yeah, um, I've got that morbid curiosity about how he would fit into WWE, but I think if anyone was to book him, Triple H could do it in a really interesting way. Could totally see him being a good, a good like sort of like jumping into the kind of intercontinental scene or the US title. Yeah, especially because I think a big thing for Osprey originally why he chose New Japan over most of the other like big promotions, the ones that want him, is because New Japan was better for him, you know, staying central to the UK. I think it's a similar thing what Walter was doing with NXT UK, where he didn't want to be based in the US and obviously uh, he's recently changed his tune uh, well probably since he got married and Osprey now is a family think of it so he'll probably live in the US for extended period just so he can make the money for his family but there's all sorts of like pitches being made for Osprey like there was even a rumour going on I don't know the validity of it but the idea that when they finally launch NXT Europe some point next year the idea of Osprey being the centre focus of it like they're building the brand around him which are allowed to be based in the UK and around Europe. And you got to think also with more international shows uh, in the next year, like they've got Bash at Berlin, there's rumours of Backlash going to Paris, going to Australia in February. So, you know, more international shows are going to need more international talent. I think Osprey's going to be somebody they want to put a focus on in those kind of shows. Yeah, and I would actually put my money on as soon as Osprey was in WWE, they would want to revisit Ricochet Osprey again. Oh, please. I mean, I think Osprey has managed to take that attention and, you know, develop it and, you know, take advantage of it and also keep changing his character over the years. Ricochet weirdly didn't get as much of the abuse about it as Osprey did. I think a lot of the thing was on Osprey because Osprey had that Vader feud. So Ricochet has kind of fallen since then because he hasn't really done that much in WWE recently. So I think that would be the like the stuff with Logan Paul was not the the boost to Ricochet that we would have wanted it to, given the attention around a match like that. But yeah, put him in with Osprey, just have that face to face. It's one of those things like if you know, you know. That's it. It's it would be a huge, huge win for them. And I think, given all the talk, I keep hearing about Osprey and where he might go and the interviews he keeps doing. I I know buddy MJF is going on about the bidding war twenty twenty four. And the closer we get, you know, I wonder if they're going to finally revisit that as we get to the end of the year. But I think the real bidding war is around Osprey rather than MJF. MJF's just come in and stolen all of Max's thunder because I think he's got more babyface. Like, bro, I think everyone's starting to realise like there's no way he's not resigning at least for a couple more years. Yeah, the, like the MJF stuff, like it felt like the the money and everything was just really a big part of the heel persona. And what we're getting now is. It's kind of shown that he's going to stay there for I mean, unless Switchblade makes good on what I want him to. Come on, Jay White, win it. I would love for Jay White to be the guy, but having said that, the more 
emphasis around this person in the mask, the devil person, uh, who everyone says, everyone's guess, everyone from Burt Baker to CM Punk to now Jack Perry's the number one suspect in this. It's the greatest mystery since who shot Mr. Burns. And I think that's going to overshadow it. So they're going to want MJF to keep the belt and feed with whoever this is under the mask. And whoever that might be, we're going to find out this weekend at, at full year. But being of the Jay White factor, we and I were very critical immediately of Jay White's booking in AEW before Bullet Club Gold started picking up. And now I'm the number one supporter of the Bang Bang Gang. So I'll give you a couple of months, Tony, if you do get a hold of him. But don't don't fuck this one up as well, because <laughs> otherwise the Tony Bash is starting. It won't just be on Central you're getting it. You're going to get it from... I'll see what I see. He's going to get it from all angles, and I don't care how that sounds. It's just... it's. It is a case of Jay White was poorly booked to begin with. Then they, they've given them the guns, which at first looked like it was going to be a bit of a why? And mm. they have run with it and made it so entertaining. There's never really, there's never been a, a situation where you would have easily thought, yeah, putting the gun club in there will easily make this better, but somehow it has. And then also the addition of Juice Robinson as well, just Totally gotten into whatever stash Tony hides backstage, as frantic as he is. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. There's all sorts of, there's a couple of other contracts kind of coming up. Uh, there's been talk that Julia, current strong uh, women's champion or multiple time champion across stardom, uh, is seen some interest with WWE, who have some reports even claiming that she was should expect to be at the porn set at some point this month. But that Meltzer came in and said she's actually contractually. She's obliged contractually to start him until at least March, so she couldn't go anywhere until then. But it does seem like as soon as somebody uh, gets a little bit of a push in the last couple of years in New Japan, there's an elderly report somewhere that says, WWE expressed interest in New Japan star, this person. That's it, and I think like WWE and AEW, they know they've got the money. So they can really tempt people, and at the end of the day, these wrestlers have got to think about their long-term careers. The Japan style is hard on the body. Osprey himself is a very much known, and I would not be surprised if that is a part of the reason that Osprey moves on, is because he can't keep this up at this pace forever. The injuries start to pile in, and it does have an impact. We'll just see if Julia does end up going. I know Triple H would probably want her maybe for NXT for a little bit. You know, there's all talks of Saray, uh, who was in NXT 2.0, where they gave her some weird anime gimmicks around... Uh, a gem that our grandmother owned, which again sounds like your star kit manga fucking storyline. But the thought that she might be going back to WWE, they just bought back a Kairi Sane to WWE. So it looks like Triple H is trying to start his own collection of Joshi wrestlers in WWE. The the Saray and the whole anime girl gimmick that that was just pretty much something that out of the Ross McLeod fantasy booking because he always keeps him going on at me about watching anime. But I think that's just a deflection for himself. <laughs> but we also there's also rumours about Hector Leo we oil back going to WWE those really haven't come to anything but we do he did comment on them and he, he was talking to Sean Rossav about it because he was the one who reported it he goes I heard those rumours coming around I, I keep, he confirmed he did have the talks but he was worried he might have accidentally told somebody he wasn't meant to until Fightful came in and said oh no you, it wasn't we, got, we didn't get it from anyone who you know we got it from someone in WWE who told us that they wanted you. So, Hikaleo thought, oh shit, have I accidentally leaked the fact that somebody might want to sign me? 
<laughs> like, oh no. Oh no, I shouldn't have said that. Oh no, I shouldn't have said it was legal. Oh no, it's too hot. I shouldn't have said that they were interested in a contract. Oh no, I definitely should have said it was WWE. Oh, it's hard being a big fan. <laughs> uh, and the final little bit of news of that is we knew he, he wasn't long for New Japan. We thought we were going to get him for one final show back at Wrestle Kingdom or at this upcoming Wrestle Kingdom, rather. But no, it's official now. Kevin Kelly is now no longer part of the English commentary team for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He wasn't on the recent tour uh, leading into Power Struggle. Uh, Walker Stewart, the newest English commentator who's been doing all of the US, definitely was there alongside Chris Chatton for the last couple of shows. Uh, soon they'll probably be doing uh, the World Tag League as well. But there was, they wanted to get Kevin Kelly in for one last big show to do uh, Wrestle Kingdom, but apparently due to family commitments, he won't be able to do that show. So they pretty much just wrapped up his time there because he's already full time with AEW doing Collision. He's already got uh, his own profile made on their website. So it means the Destruction show in Rio Goku on the October 9th was the last show. Uh, I, don't think, I believe it was the same venue that he did his first New Japan show as English Comedy, and it's where he did his last one, but we didn't know it at the time. We didn't even get a chance to say good, proper goodbye. It, it's something about it just seems really odd to me because it sounded like he was so committed to doing Kingdom and then out of nowhere. Nope, mm. done. Very unceremonious, just a little message on their on their website. And I, I admit, I'm a little bit gutted about it. And oh, yeah. there's a lot of like there's a lot of like rumours going about Twitter which I'm not going to indulge. Mm. So some of them are not so savoury. Some of them just suggest that yes, there is nothing to it, but it's it's a shame. I would have liked them to get that one last Wrestle Kingdom main event call. Yeah, especially given it's bloody Naito involved. One of his big calls is the way he overdoes the Destino. Uh, so if Naito does, when at least gets that bit, one last big Destino near fall in the Tokyo Dome main event, not having Kevin Kelly there would have, it's going to be, he's going to be missed. I think we should have though expected it, you know, as soon as he started becoming a part of Collision, we should have known these days were probably numbered, but yeah, without that big, you know, send off, as it were, uh, it's just not going to be the same. And part of the reason, you know, I know I could watch the Japanese commentary and everything, and uh, it's great to hear how excited the Japanese commentary gets, even though I can't understand it. But I just there's something about the English commentary the way Kevin and Chris together as a team they tell the stories of the matches, which is why I always be a point of waiting for the English commentary. Uh, and it's. Not going to be the same. I'm going to have, it's going to take some time to get used to this new dynamic on commentary. What, what is, what's your thoughts on Walker Street? We've had a, help, a big helping of him in the last month or so on the big shows, so I might as well ask it now. What's your thoughts on him? I actually quite like him. Uh, he's doing really well, and bearing in mind how young he is as well is fucking unreal. Yeah. The, guy's, the guy's like 21 or something. He's, he's, still, a, he's still a baby. He's fucking younger than me, and yet he looks at least 10 years older that. It's amazing what a beard can do for you in terms of how old you look. I bet he looks every bit his age as soon as he, he shaves that thing. Yeah. That's it. Like, it's, it's like he shaves it off. You, you, you're fucking 12, mate. Can I see some ID, mate? You sure you're old enough to be here? Because <laughs> he's definitely got the voice for you. He's a very, he definitely has the gravitas and everything. And, you know, okay, take some time to get used to him, as I said, because, you know, Got big shoes to fill, you know, filling for Kevin Kelly, who's been doing this for so long. Uh, he seems to, to work well with, you know, he works better with bloody Veda Scott than Ian Riccoboni or Alex Kozlov ever did. 
And I like his little back and forth with uh, with Chris Jelton from what I've seen so far. So, you know, and it, also if he's young enough and still early on in the business, he's, he can commit more time than Kevin can at the minute to doing the full time commentary. Then fair enough, get somebody who can you know, be there for the big shows. Uh, so if we can, and then Dave Walker's young. He's got the time. Kevin is older. He's now got the AEW commitment. It's the writing was on the wall for him for a while. It's it's a shame, but this is a chance for him to do something new, bring in this fresh new commentary team, and make it work. Because Chris has been stellar in helping Walker get into the role as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- Chris Jordan's really stepped up in his own, like, because, yeah, he's a guy who helps translate bits of, you know, common Japanese and for people watching who don't speak it, and he, he's there for the history facts and inserting those little bits, but he's really stepped up on his own because he was calling the first few shows of the Super Junior Tag League on his own for, the, like, the first half of the show, and then we'd be joined by, I guess, usually Hanari and everything. And I think he did a little bit of that in the last tour as well when Kevin couldn't be there because of collision. So Chris has stepped up, you know, going, going full Joey Styles in it. Uh, on his own, Chris. So he's really stepped up as well, and which makes him such a good commentator. And I look forward to seeing how the, this little back and forth goes. Because one of the things I loved about Kevin and Chris is that eventually they started developing their own little jokes that they kept making for certain wrestlers. So I want to see the little in jokes that they eventually develop on English commentary between Walker and uh, Chris as they both get more comfortable with each other. Yeah, definitely. There's because. It's important. It's always what's kind of like helped the New Japan commentary before really stand out. Is there's always been a bit of like jokingness between whoever's on the team, but it never overshadows the action. It, it adds to things. Yeah. Well, that's all the the contractual things. Really. Let's pick ourselves up. Can't we have more in forever? Let's uh, talk about the Junior Tag League was on the road to Power Struggle Tour. They would feature some kind of preview matches for the first couple of. Uh, the first little half of it and then the last half would be all tournament matches it was just one block, ten teams involved, we previewed it in the last episode the only thing was about this is as with most stories they don't put all the shows up in English so I didn't get a chance to watch all of the, the tournament but I got in, caught enough of it uh, Catch 2-2 made the finals, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, when we talk, we'll talk about the final match in a little bit but Catch 2-2 made the finals as we, I thought they would out of all the teams, I would have said, oh, maybe it'll be them versus uh, Watto and Desperado, because they seem to be other team they're putting a lot of time, or maybe Joe and his t- partner will surprise everybody. Nope. House of Torture. And as much as I immediately make a scoff at that idea, I do I do like to think it's a case of, you know, if there was a different, even though it was in a different format of this, you know, Kanemaru is a former Super Junior Tag League winner, Joe, when he actually put effort in, was a three-time winner. So maybe it's a case of, you know, when he's paired with somebody competent, show actually can, you know, win stuff properly. You know, because Kanemaru is the reason he helped, Kanemaru helped them win the KOPW title in the first place. And now as soon as he tags with him in an actual tournament, you know, he's actually doing well. So Kanemaru is actually helping show in a weird way. Words that I never, ever thought we would say in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> it's been a weird year. So, so weird. Looking at the torture. Bastards. I know, I mean, I came to that realisation later on, because, like, Kamaru, you know, was the heel master, and he gets involved in the house of torture shenanigans, but he doesn't seem to have plunged into it as much as Sho has, so 
it's still I, I see still a little bits of you know the old Kanemaru. So I think it's a case of like, oh look, they have a competent wrestler, and now he's a torture finally. Oh look, they're actually getting to the finals of a major tournament for the first time in ages because. Like the first year of House of Torture being like a little group before we even call House of Torture, you got Yujiro and Evil making the finals of World Tag League. But then ever since then, they pretty much said, like, yeah, they might win the odd match here, but they're pretty much a joke. But look, now they're actually in the tournament final again. And although initially I said to you, VMS, so like, I think the whole putting the House of Torture towards the end of a tournament just so the pop when someone beats them is bigger is getting a little trick played out. Because they did it with Evil in the semis of the G1, they gave him a fucking world title match. Like, Stop it! We do, it's not fun anymore. It's not fun to boo them getting, and you're just you're just following us with dread. The more times you do it, I'm still partially blaming you for this for even entertaining the idea of all of them getting titles for that what if scenario. This is your fault. I did. This is not my fault. I didn't. I never <laughs> once said Karamari would join the group, so you cannot put this on me. You do not put this evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I will not be blamed for this. I take no responsibility. Both, like I said, that's their piece of story. I think I mean, they'll you know, use by by hook or by crook, basically any means necessary to get the win. The first proper one, I think, came up sadly against you know Kanemaru's former stable mates and just five guys. So, but on the other side, it was Katsu too trying to you know find their groove again as a team, combating TJ's injured neck throughout the tournament, like because they actually did beat House of Torture before the finals, but on one of the last days of the tournament, but then. They attacked them afterwards and TGP took the shock arrow, which obviously further damaged his neck. And also, what I liked is that they didn't actually let them beat the war dogs. So basically it's the idea that the war dogs are annoyed with them. They're like, every time you beat you, you keep coming back. And then I'll make the moment if they do eventually beat them at the Tokyo Dome that much greater. Oh yes, give us sweet, sweet redemption. I remember last this time last year, I was, I, I was like certain that, oh yeah, like Ketsu 2, they've been a great team. But, you know, you know, baby faces go over at Wrestle Kingdom. So, you know, you and TJP, you know, they've been telling the story about you finding a new partner. They're going to they're gonna drop the belts. Not if they kept, they held on to them for a little while afterwards. And, you know, now they're getting set to take back the belts. And even Robbie Eagles admitted it uh, during Perfect when he joined commentary. Like, you know, for the first time in ages, the junior tag division is a lot more competitive. And I think a big part of it is thanks to Catch 2 too. Yeah, that's it. There's, there's definitely... Definitely worse things out there. <laughs> yeah, and it makes a change for when it was the same three fucking teams swapping the belts a couple of years ago, which we we've we documented on this very show. Uh, but one thing that annoyed me about them is like also their finisher, the Leaning Tower, where TJ puts them up on his shoulders and Akira comes off with a car. They kept going for it through the tournament, like, oh no, but they can't do it because TJ's next and like So your neck was mildly injured, you couldn't do it. Now you've been dropped in your head by show. Why did you think it would work this time? Why did you think you'd suddenly summon the strength to get that move done? Have you ever considered swapping over and having Akira pick them up? I said, this is where logic sometimes goes to die. <laughs> you mean the more I take damage to my neck, the stronger I become? No, you're not fucking Goku in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> well, adrenaline only takes you so far, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm shocked to see the bloody history they got as far as they did because they threw everything at Bushi and Tita in the main event in the first show. And they both, and even though it was like five on one, Bushi and Tita finally won. And like, it was especially galling because they had Bushi in it, who's the full, become almost a joke as the fall guy of, of LIJ. But 
Bushy managed to get a big main event win alongside Titan, so Titan's rubbing off on on Bushy there. So, but as I said, I thought the other like story, I thought the other big story to talk about to the tournament because I thought these guys were going to make the finals. Uh, Watto and Espero, as I put in my notes, will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? The, the, the t-shirt of friendship. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> and Watto, uh, even though they were not in the tournament anymore, they routined one more time on Power Sugar, going like, "Come on, one last opportunity, put the t-shirt on." Uh, and Watto, uh, Despero took the shirt, attached it to his to his waistband, which is basically as good as anything you're going to get from him. It's as much of a same respect as Watto's ever going to get from Desperado. That's, I love that because it's like, well, Desperado usually comes with his t-shirt on and tucked in there anyway, so he's pretty much admitted that he's wearing it. The friendship yeah. is strong. The friendship is still strong. So I really thought that was going to be a thing. And I looked up, I, I guess, about it if it had ever been done last t- episode. If Watto and Desperado had won, Watto would have been the first ever man to win the Super Junior Tag League and World Tag League pretty much in the same calendar year. So it's never been done before. People have won both tournaments, but at separate times, So, but never in the one year. So that would have been a nice little thing for Watto to have, but he didn't get it in the end. Because <laughs> what I liked about the, the final night of uh, the tournament before Persig, before they finalised the two people who would go on to fight Persig on the final match, was you had basically six teams that could potentially go through two of those teams got beaten in upset matches by teams that had very much been all but eliminated mathematically. And then so that meant that the last two matches were pretty much either team can go through here. Uh, yeah, TGP managed, and the yeah, Cats 2-2 managed to go over the Intergalactic Jet Stairs, which were having actually a better tournament than anyone thought of, especially given their Super Junior uh, performance and their bloody, the way they were unceremoniously got the tag titles taken back off them. Uh, so Cats 2-2 went through with 12 points, being uh, Kevin Enkishu, who had 10. And then Master Water and Despero, their story sadly came to an end uh, when Kanamaru and Sho beat them in the main event. And It was Walker's first night, and Chris Jallium joked, like, this is Walker's first night in Japan, and you've ruined it by having Chris <laughs> win in the main event. Like, thanks. Son's crying now. <laughs> Kids are crying now, thanks. But yeah, uh, the other teams that could have went through but got it ruined is uh, Tita and Bushi, who were mathematically eliminated. No, no, Tita and Bushi, who could have went through, got beaten by the mathematically eliminated team of Yo and Musashi. And TMDK, who were mathematically eliminated, got the win over the War Dogs, who pretty much dominated the first part of the tournament. Their main losses came in here. They lost, I think, to House of Torture as well, despite uh, War Dogs taking the piss by dressing up as Dick Togo and Yujiro because the match took place on Halloween. And also the loss to TNDK, which I think when they lost to Kevin Enkishir, they even said that's not just their first loss of the tournament, it's their first loss ever as a tag team in a two-on-two match. So the previously unbeaten champions started kind of losing some comments and getting more and more angry because they kept taking losses. Which is just hilarious to, to hear that anger become palpable. It's like, why? Why? <laughs> I know. And the way they lost the via roll-up uh, to Fujita and Robbie Eagles in 3 minutes and 33 seconds actual poetic it's just proper chef's kiss like 3.33 <laughs> I mean there was like a fun four way match between uh, I believe it was TMDK 
uh, Master Watto and uh, Ewan Masashi, I think it was, Master Watto and Desperado and the War Dogs. I believe it was uh, Desperado got the win for his team. Yeah, Desperado yes. got the win for his team. While Robbie goes had a submission on someone else and then Desperado snuck the pin on Vegeta, I think it was. So... And it was that last minute gasp of desperation for Robbie trying to break up the submission in time, but he just couldn't get it. And the War Dog tried to pass off, like, oh, no, no, we'll let the little guys fight for scraps. We've got the belt still. We've punched our ticket to Wrestle Kingdom. So that's Master Watto and Desperado, potentially, if they want to get back together, and uh, Robbie Eagles and Fujita, who would be waiting for the winners of of uh, the Wrestle Kingdom match, which, again, means that the, means that the junior tag division is exciting again. That's it. It's finally we have something to get invested in. We have drama. Drama. <laughs> Even though it's on the, the Power Struggle card, that's not a separate bit. Uh, I will mention that also Katsutu did get the win over House of Torture at Power Struggle, kind of middle, third from the top, I believe, this match was. So nice to see the junior get such a big presence on Power Struggle. And despite all the shenanigans, we thankfully did have uh, members of the United Empire coming out. You had Will Osprey, I think. Kellen Newman got involved because he got battered by the War Dogs earlier in the tournament. And poor boy, got just battered the whole tour. But he came out. Jeff Cobb came out and carried evil away, which was funny. Just like, nope, no you don't. Up you go. Bullshittery. Be gone. <laughs> I like it when, like, when the United Empire all get banned together to just beat up the House of Torture. It put me in mind of when they all rallied behind met uh, Mark Davis during his match with Evo in the New Japan Cup. Like, still to this day, I think it's the most one of the most feel good wins of twenty twenty three. Who'd have thought it? I never knew. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one last point note on the Super Junior Tag League before we move on. I'll just put it here. They did bloody. They did just five guys dirty. You had Takemichi Noku, a legend, and you had. Doki, a man who's ready to break out the Doki Joki, and they finished on four points. They weren't really tied for last with bloody DKC and Taguchi. They managed to beat DKC and Taguchi on the final night to mean that they wouldn't end with two points. So that's at least something they didn't finish bottom. They were joint with somebody else, but fuck me. I mean, Taka, I know, it takes a lot of pins, but you could have given Doki some wins in this tournament. As you put it, they did just five guys dirty. And it feels especially dirty because you've got a, like a, a group that has the current top guy in the whole company. Why would you book other parts of the stable to look so weak? I know. It is weird, isn't it? Because, you know, that reflects bad, I think, on Sonata in a way. And again, got buddy Chris Johnson still wondering, is he the guy and everything? And even implied that maybe, because just five guys in a few matches did look a bit heelish against... LIG, who are themselves kind of rudo as they keep reminding us on commentary. So I think they're trying to prepare people for the idea that, you know, the by, de- by default, Sonata might have to play the heel. And like when Chris Johnsling was, Sonata's going to have to, Sonata might not be the fan favourite on January 4th, and he's going to have to learn to be okay with that. Which makes sense, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, Sonata's always kind of like towed that line anyway from being an LIG, so. Yeah, it's an it's an odd one, but the story makes sense at least in the bigger picture. Yeah, I think other than when they've, I think the only time they've really, I think the main reason that they've seen like more faces, just five guys, was also because they helped fan favorites and Adam win the title you know, by joining them, and the fact that they were 
are easily repulsive like adversaries in the House of Torture they've been feeding with for much of the latter half of the year. So it's an easy way to make them seem like de facto faces. But especially it's especially gone given that the last junior combination of Fitzgerald Five Guys being Doki and Karamaro earlier this year, back in like February, looked like they were just within a ball hair of winning the junior tag team titles. So they go from that to this. Uh, it's just equal, just even more disappointing. It's like, can you show me heartbreak? Yes, yes, I can. Yeah, uh, I will say, Big Fujita looking good after his trip to Australia. How, is he, how do we know he's any different? He's got highlights in his hair, and he's got a brand new finisher. That's it. Yeah, clearly the time spent with mum and dad has really helped a lot. <laughs> so we go into a power struggle. Uh, we'll, come, we'll circle back to some US stuff which happened all but before and just after Power Struggle. Uh, we had some undercard tag team matches, including that four way, as I said. Uh, you had Tamatonga teaming with the Jet Setters against LIG team of Bushi, Titan, and Shingo. That'll tie back into the ongoing thing between Tamatonga and Shingo over the Never title. Uh, we had Yuamura and Sanada teaming against Shota, against, against Yotsuji and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, there's been an ongoing thing between Buddy Yumer and Suji where some of the tag matches they were involved in kept going to draws until Suji finally got a win over Yumura in this tag team match and setting up potential something down the road. You know, it feels like what they were trying to set up with uh, Shoturman on Renu being kind of rivals you know, on the draws during that best of seven series. It feels like well, they put all that effort into doing that. They put slightly less effort into doing that with Suji and Yuamura, and yet actually pulled it off much better than they did with Shota and Ren. Yeah, who'd actually thought, like, it actually, it's like, oh, we don't have to put that much effort and the people will buy into it naturally. Who'd have thought? Um, yeah, I'm much more invested in a Shota versus Buddy Yuamura match than I'm potentially seeing Ren versus. Now, even though their match in the G1 was really good, the, the draw that they had in that match, I'm much more invested in seeing this because they mentioned that they'd had quite a few draws in the past and they had some draws on the road too so and plus that bloody spear that you took on this show one hell of a spear that was and it's a good way in terms of like it's building the rest of the main event but it's having them both team with the younger members of their respective factions and giving both of them a spotlight at the same time that's it everyone gets we get the little teases but we still the, the younger guys get a big rub big exposure and get the fans buying into them um, even though I'm still upset that I'm still upset with you, Mira, because Joya. Joya. <laughs> yeah. I love how when he came back as Storm Bloody, Kevin Kelly Joe is like an NXT name generator, and yet now we're stuck with a guy called Walker Stewart. Like, that's the most wrestling of wrestler names I've ever heard. That's a, that's a name out of heels. That's, it's just, it's like, please insert generic wrestler name. Okay, here we go. Do you remember that storyline from Heels, you know, Walker Street and his famous rivalry with Ricky Rabies? <laughs> uh, first proper singles match of the show was a, a 12-minute match. It just was set up for David Finley to get a, a singles win again following his loss of the Never Open Weight title uh, so he can get some revenge on G.O.D. before going into his next feud, which we'll talk about at the end of Power Struggle. And Tangle got to, cut, had to be the sacrificial owl, unfortunately, of, uh, you know, fight being originally being positioned as the power guy of G.O.D. I think since his brother's come in, who's much taller and slightly more stronger than he is, Tangelo by default is now as a smash the same thing, go by kind of the fall guy of G.O.D. That's silly. And 
tangle. I mean, when they threw him back into the G1, we talked about this before. The ring rust. That you don't shake off ring rust by going into the G1, and now he's just devoted to being the whipping boy. It's just so weird. And it's weird as well that nobody, ALP and Tigley are taking all the tagging spotlight, and they've got this weird rule now, like, oh yeah, if you're in a match already announced for Wrestle Kingdom, you you're not going to be in the G, in the World Tag League, and because obviously Tam has got stuff going on at Wrestle Kingdom with the Winter World title, means this original combination of God can't be in the Tag League, so Tam is single low is left out in the wind, not with fuck all to do. Sucks he's, to be him. He's standing around while the other guys are doing stuff with championships. He's just standing around like that John Travolta meme from Pulp Fiction, like shrugging his shoulders, like what do I do now? But no, this was a match I was looking forward to. A match that originally got called Audrey Double Count Out and one minute and seven seconds before <laughs> started as a false count anywhere match. The great O'Connor v. John Moxley. I don't know why he didn't just fucking announce it as a as a no like a no DQ match anyway, but fuck yeah. me, this was a well one. It was nice to see Great O'Connor in this kind of match. And especially I love the moment where he just put John Moxley in a weird car and just rolled him into a pile of seats. I love that match because it's like, yeah, we are going to use anything but the ring for this match. Like, wait, what? O'Can's going to brawl with Moxley? And surprise, what did Moxley do? He bled. Well, Chris Charlton said himself, it's a day ending and why, so John Moxley must bleed. You know, I think this match took, in, took place entirely in the crowd. Because if you go on New Japan's website and you look at the images for the match, Literally, only a match that's not in the crowd is one shot on them on the ramp when when Real Gans being sent flying onto poor bloody Oscar Loife. <laughs> that that <laughs> was actually a moment of beauty. That <laughs> and technically said to have ended via referee stoppage. Uh, the official calls after he well, mostly choked out Real Can. He did also give him a death rider on the outside. Uh, Real Can did a, a chair assisted Superman punch at one point, and then Moxley committed the ultimate sin. He did what only Toriano has really done before him. He cut Great O'Can's braid. How dare you? And that really upset me. That I was like, nope, this is too far. The blood is fine. The violence is fine. But you do not cut the Great O'Can's hair. All hell. We have we have certain boundaries here, John. <laughs> Even you must abide by them. God damn it, John Moxley. What are you? We can only hope for better things in 2024, but we move on to the six-man tag team title match. We saw TMDK trio of Zack Sabre Jr., Shane Hayes, and Mikey Nichols unsuccessfully challenge the champions who have made, I believe this is their third maybe defence so far. Uh, they've been quite active as champions so far, Okada and Okada being this never-man, never six-man division is, you know, going along and I thought it would I do, but weirdly I do love the fact that even though Zach kind of wanted revenge on Okada after beating him in the G1 the main story was all about Zach Sabre Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii who like Loki he's become one of Zach Sabre Jr.'s best rivals like that guy's actually issues with all three of the guys on the opposite side it's it an interesting and uh, it, was, it was an interesting match it was a it was a fun one and you know not the only recent six man tag tag title match we've had either because of Okada throwing a little oh yeah we're going to go and have another one but let's not put it on the fucking telly no 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 not a... of course not but it it was like TMDK 
I feel for Nichols and Hayes because they are workhorses and they deserve better than what they've got so far. Mm-hmm. And okay, yeah, I- go suck a bag of dicks for holding another title. Yeah. <laughs> uh. They, they did get an earful. They managed to hit their tank buster finisher on Okada, which for an earful. But weirdly enough, it was Zach that actually took the pin, despite you know being a, the only one on the, his team that was a champion. He took a small package from uh, Tanahashi uh, and immediately had to get, get up to complain about it. And also that's setting up their match at Wrestle Kingdom. And I like Zach backstage talking about, you know, you know first and only yeah, New Japan TV champion and all his defences. But he's mentioned I lost the New Japan Cup, I lost the G1, I lost tonight. Has everyone ever I lost the Osprey? Has everyone ever won as much and lost as much the same year? It's absolutely wild to think that 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 match being made for Wrestle Kingdom puts what that's like Saber having the belt for a full year. Oh yeah, <laughs> one full candy. I don't think anyone saw that. I mean, I think we could see they it was more likely that he was going to be the champion, but I don't know if anyone saw him going past maybe Dominion. At the the latest with that belt, and hell, I want them to go even further because Tanahashi doesn't need that belt. I mean, fair enough, they do this thing sometimes where they put a former world champion with a secondary belt to help further add like, prestige to it. But I think Zach's doing that fine on his own. He's at like sixteen defenses or something in the space of a year, and every match has been nothing short of entertaining to watch. That fifteen minute time limit, he knows how to work it beautifully. Oh yeah. He really does, and I really think he's going to lose it to one of the the Musketeers. He's already beaten one of them to to like, when they tell you when he beat Renner, he's beaten Shota before. I would like to see maybe a Suji or even uh, Uemura take it off on somebody young because that was his whole thing. The young punk, he's I'm still a young punk. I'm giving opportunities to young guys to take this belt off me, so give it to one of them to win. And then eventually, when he gets his initial push, when he comes back to his excursion, at some point, when he's very when his first title, you know, much like they're doing with Showtime Moxley, at some point, Fitchy is going to come back and win that TV belt, you know, for his senpai. That's I actually, I, I, I think you've got to rain the money there. Like whoever wins the belt next, it definitely has to be one of the younger talent because it would just make so much more sense. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I'm trying to put some good karma out there and manifest some good things after I'm getting the blame for the bloody house of torture. But there was a challenge made to Okada post match when the lights went out. As I know, it was all very controversial to have a Danielson wrestle in that tag match against Cassidy and Okada with an injured orbital bone. But they wanted to make it seem like Okada was the cause of it, so they could then set up this match where you have Danielson on the screen saying. First time you wrestled, you broke my arm, but I still beat you. You know, the first time, the second time you fight, you broke my orbital bone. So now I'm coming for you on your home turf and the Tokyo Dome, and I'm going to break your right arm so you can never do the remaker ever again. And like this was, I think if you didn't even watch it when it aired live, before you even watched it, this was going around to this clip, both the video clip on its own and just a clip of Volcano setting by going, yes, yes, yes. This is like Danielson. Yes, <laughs> that's really all you need to say. I'm sure we'll circle back to this, but it, we knew the rematch was happy. You wanted Danielson at the Tokyo Dome. But it was either going to be a rematch with Okada or a rematch with Zack Saber Jr. And I'm not arguing against. It. I mean, by my preference, I would say a rematch with Zack Saber Jr. because 
had Claudio went in revenge on both Orange Cassidy and Okada for injuring Danielson. So could you imagine if we got two Blackpool Combat Club matches, like singles matches, you got Danielson v ZSJ and Okada versus uh, Claudio? Oh, that'd be beautiful. Don't you know, tease me with such a good time. I'm not complaining that we're getting Okada, Danielson, the Tokyo Dome. We even want to see Brian Danielson in a New Japan rank in Japan for the longest time, like more than a year and a half at this point, and we're finally getting it. So if they can make sure they don't you know, injure themselves, you know, get with it, even with these surgically repaired orbital bone, they've got like, Danielson's been like, oh yeah, Tony's doing his own version of G1. I'm going to wrestle in that right before I wrestle Okada. Despite the fact that the before his before his first match with Okada, they said we're going to let you wrestle one match. It's going to be a multi-man match, so you don't get injured or not make sure you're not in blood and guts. And what happens when he wrestled that match with Okada, even though he wasn't wrestling a lot leading up to it, he got injured anyway. So what's going to happen when you're wrestling a full six weeks worth of a tournament? You fucking mental case. I know it's it's. Like I want to take part in the G1, but we have the G1 at home. <laughs> We made a special G1 just for you, Daniel. Absolutely unreal. Like we we know you couldn't go out. It's, it's it, it honestly it's just wow. <laughs> like fuck's sake, Tony. <laughs> yeah, moving on to the semi main event in his seventh defence. I think I put it somewhere down. It was his sixth. I'm now seeing it's his seventh defence uh, of the title. Hiromu Takashi defeated uh, Taiji Shimori in 20 minutes 38 seconds. And a really back and forth match. I like it's great to see Ishimori back. I think they would have set this match up sooner had he not got injured. I even thought he was going to win the best of Super Juniors before that injury. But I think of any of his defenses so far, this was the one I really thought Hiromu was going to was going to lose it. But I think again, you talk about Zach having it for full calendar year. You know, Hiromu, I think having it the belt for a full calendar year is something they haven't really gotten to do because he keeps getting injured with the belt. So. Fair enough, and Hiromi even had to pull out with a rope to get the win, but absolutely sensational match. I mean, people talk about his feuds with Desperado and uh, Dragon Lee and people like that, but I think people forget how great his matches always are with Ishimori. That's, Ishimori does not get enough attention um, mm-hmm. for what he has done in New Japan. Um, and he, he's made he's made a statement about that before, so you know, all the power of them for like having such a banging match again with Hiromu. Absolutely. Uh, the fact that, like I said, Hiromu had to pull out the rope in order to defeat him. Uh, I didn't even notice that he'd been carrying the belt with all his defences, and it's the first time after post-match that he wore it around his waist, because apparently Hiromu had said, I won that four-way, but I didn't pin the defending champion in Ishimori, so I will not wear the belt until I beat Ishimori, and I finally got to do it, so that's a nice little bit of Storytelling there. We had Robbie Eagles, former junior heavyweight champion, man who's beaten uh, Hiromu for the belt on commentary for it. <laughs> I love post match when Hiromu decides, you know what, I'm the champion. I've had seven defences. I'm going to choose my challenger for Wrestle Kingdom. And he chooses Desperado, who's sitting at Japanese commentary. He had Robbie Eagles like, I'm sitting right here. It's like, wh- wh- why him? Why not me? I beat you. <laughs> so. They talk about his, his other famous rivalries in Hiromi. It's basically a case of, well, why we keep having bangers, but it's the first time we're going to have a full capacity, you know, cheering crowd to watch one of these matches. You know, 
crew that can make noise, not accidentally letting out, oh, because we do a moment that's so shocking, a crowd is allowed to cheer as much as they want when we go one-on-one. So, you know, fuck it, let's do it one more time. That's it. This is just, it's. let's face it, that Wrestle Kingdom match is going to kick ass. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort of go back to that when we talk about the Wrestle Kingdom car that's been in it. But I'm looking forward to that match. You know, I can never get you know too much disparate of you who roam in my life. But I look at this main event for the IWGB US and UK Heavyweight Championships because Osprey brought both belts per show as request. This match went 40 minutes. And it's very rare that we get an Osprey match that's below 25 or so minutes. And I started to think, why would Osprey, why would we want Osprey? Like, Triple H is in charge. Triple H famously loves a long main event. He sees Osprey having these matches. matches. like, I need to get that guy on my roster. It's like, it's like the heavy breathing intensifies. Oh, how long? Tell me about the 40-minute matches. Tell me again about the 40-minute matches. It's going to have false finishes. Oh, Shudders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a hell of a match. It's like, it was like a three-parter. Like this match, like we had Osprey very one-sided to start off with. And then until he eventually woke up, showed him, and I want to show his big, first big moves when he finally woke up is to drop Osprey pretty much on his head with a slingshot DDT on the apron to the outside and then a big shotgun drop kick to the the guardrail and then he set up two tables in order to do a, a death fair to the outside but as per wrestling custom he who set it up must suffer its fate as he got tiger driven right through the tables and thankfully they fucking broke oh god if they didn't break I would be like nope nope this is going off too gruesome No, nope. this is too much and also there was concerns about, you know, would Red should step in like he did that match in London that they had, you know, as Osprey's doing that bit where he's sitting on top of him, he's got his arms, he can't defend, so he's elbowing him in the head. And then, you know, Red Shoes had to get involved at certain points, but then he's adopted dad, John Moxley came out to wake him up, like, come on, sure. And he got him in his corner, and I really thought it was going to go one day, he made you think, but eventually, after throwing pretty much everything at him, and eventually one final Stormbreaker, Osprey, Retains and his third defense of this this title reign because he's he's so similar to the belt. I forget this is a separate reign. And this is only his third successful defense of this particular title. <coughs> but this divided some opinion. I even I saw it from the Super J cast account. They just re- quote retweeted something to do with the post match, and they just said simply they did Shota dirty because I think a lot of people wanted Shota to win this match. There was a lot um, rooting for Shota, especially with the whole idea of show of his Moxley at the Dome which would have been to me an absolute stellar choice um, can't say I'm overly thrilled with what's going to happen like two thirds of the match I'm very excited about <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's worse members of his faction to be in that match I'll just say that 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 is very true you know be careful what you wish for <laughs> I think of the Wrestle Kingdom is half full not half empty but you know, for your minutes, especially given that promo that Osprey cut, you know, I want you to beat me because if you don't, I don't feel safe with the future of New Japan being in your hands. So seeing all that, having show I get throw all the stuff at him and he still loses does kind of make show to look like a bit of a jump. Even though they tried to make it seem like a big deal that it went 40 minutes because he's like, oh, it took him 30 plus something minutes to beat Kenny Omega, it took him 20 something minutes to beat Okada. But Shotomino lasted longer than all of them, yeah. But he still lost, though. Even though the storyline-wise, it could have been the great moment for him. It wouldn't be the first of this new crop that they're trying to push to win a title 
and then fight his mentor at Wrestle Kingdom. That could have been fucking great, but clearly New Japan wants to introduce a new belt and rather than just bring back the Intercontinental title, which we know you want to do, literally everyone on your roster, even Osprey, is talking about it. But no, apparently that's not the way we're going. And the more time has passed, the more I'm like, yeah, more I'm frustrated. Like, yeah, why didn't Shota win this match? Because we had other ideas for after the match, of course, said Ghetto. Yes. Uh, and we also had Osprey kind of call Moxley into the ring as well. Moxley was kind of encouraging, you know, comfort Shota after the match. But he basically calls him in and you can kind of, they don't talk on the microphone, they're just getting ready each other's face. You can kind of hear the camera mic picking them up. And what you do, the main thing you catch is Osprey claiming that Os- that. Moxley made the US title irrelevant because he pissed off for ages. Uh, and then bloody out comes David Finley to attack both of them and he lays out why he doesn't care about either version of the belt. He's like, yeah, well this represents the US, but they think I'm Irish. This represents the UK, but they think I'm American. So I don't care about either of these belts. And he takes out a sledgehammer and just smashes both of them. He, went, he goes full Mr. Perfect with the WWF title. And I'm assuming that means that in th- a few years' time, they'll come out with the IWGP hardcore title, and a legend will start. I'd never been myth that this was made out of the fractured remains of one of these belts. Like, people think that that hardcore title from the WWF is an old winged eagle title that's smashed up, which apparently is not the case. I know it's a niche reference, but I wanted to make it. I've been thinking about it ever since <laughs> it happened. Some say Scott has not slept for days thinking of this reference. And as soon now as we I- know. There's a song holding up the fracture bits. I'm like, I've got a reference I can make. And the broken title has been on display in the New Japan shop in Japan. And and I've been uh, just a bit fell over all my words trying to get that reference that I've been waiting to make. (laughs) But also, Eddie Kingston summed up this moment perfectly by putting it up on his Instagram story with the, the Simpsons meme, local man ruins it for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> that was outstanding just a local man ruins it for everyone of course he did fucking Finlay bloody Finlay oh. but, <laughs> but yeah so it looks like there's going to be a triple threat match and all the Osprey like we're going to have a triple threat match for and just pauses for a second fuck it we're going to have a new title and the new Japan said yeah they're going to have a three way match but they've not said what the new title is, so it's it's just it just says Moxley versus Finlay versus Osprey. Actually, if you want, you look up the it's kind of graphic. They've fucking they've merged bloody Osprey and Finlay together. They've merged Moxley and Finlay almost together. So it's like Osprey, Osprey's name. There is kind of graphic, and then their two names really close together. Makes it look like some sort of weird handicap match you book on universe mode. Yeah, it's like so. Create a wrestler has came to town. Yes. And you, th- I will make my my wrestler Walker the new champion of the whatever I name it belt. Yes. So there you go, and yet another, you know, circle being the place to set up interesting matches for wrestling, which is what you kind of hope it would be. And the US shows recently set up some th- interesting things as well, because we're going to go over to the US. New Japan where they had Fighting Spirit Unleashed in Las Vegas and they had Lone Star Shooter in Dallas, Texas 
what I like is there's a quite a few, quite a lot of CMLL influence across both shows. There's also quite a lot of women uh, being featured on these US shows as well. Not just starring people, but like people from like who wrestled in Mexico and wrestled in the US. You know, rumor has it that Tony Khan was perplexed when he watched Fighting Spirit Unleashed because there were get this two women's matches on the show, and they actually got time, not just <gasps> two minutes. <gasps> oh no! Because you had Stephanie Fakir and her tag team partner, whose name is sadly escaped me, uh, winning a tag team match on Fighting Spirit Unleashed, which is done so that Stephanie Fakir could post match challenge Mayu Iguatani for her IWGP Women's Title match, uh, Women's Title at uh, Lone Star Show, which she got in a hell of a match. And then later on, we had Julia defending against Hyun in uh, a uh, match. And given that she was she was challenged afterwards, but not for once I should, but for a show somewhere down the line by Trisha Doerr during her backstage comments. So I keep an eye on when that match is taking place, given all the contract rumours around Julia. Yeah, it's got to go down. Anything can happen at this point, let's face it. We just don't bloody know anymore. <laughs> I don't know about all the bloody CML influence. I remember seeing this match announced, and I had to do a bit of a double take when I set an for Lone Star Show, like TJP versus Mystico. I keep forgetting which Sincara was he again? Was he the first one or the second one? Either way, he's much better in his current form because you know he's not doing what both Sincara allegedly did in case of oh, yeah, we botched because we refused to learn the WWE or American style, so we'll wrestle our way and if we fuck up, then well, that's just going to be the way it is. If someone dies, someone dies, not my problem, <laughs> not my problem. So the hell it was a really good match that one as well. And the main thing is like the strong titles kinda of getting showcased obviously Julia, her actually high end getting quite a bit of time. Uh, so she's retained her title. You got two defenses across both shows for the strong open weight and the tag team titles. We had ELP and Hickley offending off monster sauce with poor Bert and Nene getting beat battered by Lance Archer. We had Julian walking as the tightrope, it was all good fun. And then it was all ruined when the West Coast Wrecking Crew beat them up to challenge them for the next show. I remember watching Royce Isaac when he was when he had hair and he was teaming with a, a guy we don't want to talk about anymore because uh, of recent things, even though NWA still book him. Uh, and he, he kind of didn't look that much, it didn't stand out much other than his weird moustache. Look at him here, I'm like, fuck me, like, especially top half, like, what if, what do you do? Do you live in the gym when you're not in the ring? Like, do you do anything interesting? No. <laughs> I lift and I shout. That is it. No is personality. Not at all. Look at my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Red Coast Wrecking Crew are basically are to the strong titles. What team do you care become to the IWGP heavyweight titles? And that they're a team that keep getting title shots, despite the fact that the company seems to have no intention of ever putting those particular belts on them. And you talk about people being made to look like FUDs. When they attacked ELP and Hikaleo, they're like, I'm sick of throwing together tag teams, uh, getting opportunities we, we deserve. And it includes mentioning placements in the World Tag League. World Tag League final announcement comes that ELP and that are in, and the team that they beat at Fighting Spirit Unleashed are in. Are the rest of those crew in either block? No. So basically, fuck you guys, apparently. So go fuck yourselves. Also, it seems like their TV season uh, breakup of Team Filthy because 
Tom Lawler unsuccessfully lost because Tom Lawler was unsuccessful in a number of containers back to Frankensport unleashed and then on the pre-show bizarrely of Lizard Shoot he lost to Fred Rosser and then they shook hands and when in their backstage comments when Tom Lawler was trying to comfort the West Coast Ring because they seemed to have seemed like they had no time for him they kind of thought that Tom Lawler had gone soft by shaking hands with uh, with Fred Rosser so like there was a bit where like Royce Isaac like pushes past Tom Lawler to do his bit to camera, and the whole time Royce Isaacs is just glaring a hole through Tom Lawler, like, oh no, like you, you're about to kick you out, Lawler, you're about to kick out of your own group. So you started this. Are you going to let this shit happen? Ooh, ooh. Because basically they're all equally annoyed about how how shit they're doing. That seems to be their storyline. <laughs> uh. But a big thing on uh, the show is uh, my boy Kojima won that four way against. Uh, oh, no! I was gonna say like that. Uh, Tom Waller failed to beat to to qualify for the Trotel. No, that was his opponent. Once uh, I Fred Rosser failed. It was no Tom Waller got even bigger indignity. He lost to Gabe Kid. <laughs> you leave Gabe. You leave Gabe Kid alone. <laughs> I kid, I kid. He's, yeah, already, he, he's already, while we've been live on this, uh, recording this, just to give you a laugh, he has also tweeted Good Riddance, Kevin Kelly. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got a big win over Tom Lawler via Piledriver and all sorts of other shenanigans. Uh, and Fred Rosser failed in that for, and then they both challenged each other to that match at one third shit out. So it was Fred Rosser, Alex Coughlin. Jeff Cobb and Kojima in a weirdly generated four-way, which Kojima got the win in to challenge Eddie Kingston because, of course, he's a guy who was big in the 90s in Japan. Of course, Eddie Kingston's a fan of him. Uh, after he finally vanquished Sonari in their much anticipated match, he went on to have that match against against uh, Kojima. And I love how he's, he's winning. It's like, I'm going to kick your ass. And then well, Kingston, in a typical fashion, went, I'll see you in Dallas, motherfucker. I honestly think when they generated this uh, this four way match, I honestly get the feeling did they borrow the wheel from the, uh, the Saturday Draft Live guys? <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, also, it's get, it's getting becoming far too common that Eddie Kingston wins matches via passing out, where he sends so many backfists he just collapses on his opponent, and I'm I'm getting kind of sick of it. The man needs to do some fucking cardio. <laughs> oh, why do you hate that guy? He called me fat. Well, stop collapsing on people. Oh, it's almost like Homer in The Simpsons when he does the boxing. Yeah, so I say too harshly about his appearance because Eddie Kingdom will come all the way from New York to find me, and I'll just probably pin it all on you. Please, I can, I, I can run. Hey, I can I'm run as well. I'm safe. He will fuck you up. Hey, I can run. I'll get in the car. <laughs> you can't outrun Eddie Kingston. I don't have to outrun Eddie Kingston. I just have to outrun you. Exactly. <laughs> oh. But another thing that took focus is the never point tail got a showcase across these two shows as it main event is both of them with you know the match being set up after Tamatonga's win over he was finally back at uh, Destruction. He challenged Shingo to finish their match from the G1 this time with a better time of it. And surprisingly, Shingo won. So he ended Tama's third reign, which barely even got started, 
and Shane Gordon himself becomes a three-time Everyone weight champion. And here's a little fact about Tama, his singles run so far. Three-time Open weight champion, successful defences, one. Uh, a one-hit wonder. We do love it in New Japan. Yeah, he's one defence, <laughs> ELP, back in February. That's who his one defence was against successfully. So, at least there's somebody who wasn't in Bullet Club that he managed to lose it to this time. But yeah, I wasn't expecting it. But you know, as much as I've supported Tamani's efforts as a single star so far this year, as soon as Shingo won the belt and they teased their rematch, I'm like, no, fuck you, Tama. Shingo's my boy. That's it. And it's not just any variant of Shingo. We've got cowboy Shingo right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a cowboy. <laughs> oh. And then I put this in my notes because it works with his name that he's went by in the Indies and also my thoughts on it. Post-match, he's challenged by Trent. That was so fucking random. I know. Of all the people to make that challenge. Trent? Oh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever spoken about this publicly on a podcast. I fucking hate Trent Beretta. <laughs> I can't stand him. He seems like they're the best friends. He just seems like the one you'd least like to actually be friends with in real life. He seems like such a prick. Like, you know, he's more, he's more as lovely by all accounts, but he just looks like an absolute dick. Uh, and so, like, I'm hoping you get battered by Shingo, and he did. So I'm happy. And yet, years ago, he he didn't have that persona because I met him at Starcast when I went to All In, and him and Chucky could not be any nicer. Yeah, well, I have I have no time for Trent for <laughs> so fuck him. But it's just the fact that Shingo did an interview. He's like, oh, I want to defend this against Kota Ibushi, against Claudio Castagnoli, against Nakashima, against you know Omega. I don't know if I already said him. I mean, all these people, and his first defense, Trent. Is that ah. All these big potentials. You get Trent. What the fuck is this? And then there's Trent. <laughs> They seem to start making it more personal when they they're uh, they say it's personal for Tamatonga when they go into their match like singles oh if I, he lists all the people he wanted to face and like apparently Tama got annoyed like oh he wants to fight defend us against people like Omega and obviously people who left us whereas I'm loyal to New Japan so now I've lost my respect for you Shingo like it's amazing how as soon as they put a title back on Shingo which I've been waiting for for far too goddamn long and I'm not even counting the KOPW stuff even though he did some okay stuff with that make it seem serious. I'm happy they put a proper belt back on because, you know, I remember the days, you know, they weren't that long ago. I remember the days of never open with champion Shingo when he got good matches at a show. They got a great match at Desperado and the matches with Suzuki and Jeff Cobb, that absolute belter of a match he got. Look at run back that, that, that match, him and Jeff Cobb. So, you know, a long running title run for Shingo Takagi. I am all about it. Let's fucking go. That's it. Just get in. Get in. Oh. But uh, one last thing, obviously, Saxio Jr. makes it a, a sweet 16 with his another successful defensive tail at Lothar Shoot over Mike Bailey. If you want to see the effects of this match, watch the backstage comments where you see how bent Mike Bailey's finger, one of Mike Bailey's fingers was. And then Saxio Jr. like, Speedball, how people go lucky cry, man? Why are his legs so angry? It's just why? What is going on here? It's not even worth describing this match. Like, I know this is not conducive to a review audio format, but go fucking watch it. Whatever you want 
that's your junior versus Mike Bailey to be, it will probably be that. Please let it happen. Make it so. Also, I love their promos going into this, where it was a case of uh, Mike Bailey say, says that Zachary does not deserve to be TV champion in certification. He probably doesn't own a TV, whereas he, <laughs> despite wrestling across multiple con- con- continents in a single month, he apparently manages to, this is by his own admission, he finds time to watch 80 hours of TV a week. That like, is nuts. <laughs> that's just much. Like, even I, I love watching TV. I watch far too much TV as it is, but even I think that's too much. Like, are you the kind of, you must just download a shitload of stuff off Netflix to watch on the plane if he's doing that much traveling and watching all that TV. That is like, like there, there is no sleep. There is only television. <laughs> There's only TV for, for Mike Bailey and as soon as I saw that match, I'm like, that is the most indie-rific US match I want to see. And I'm glad I'm getting to see a New Japan show when I saw that match get announced. You know, good, I'd only got it for say, 50 minutes, but maybe they'll run it back at some point soon. Uh, last thing on the US shows I'll say is just the random debut in Japan of a New Japan of bloody Joey Janela. And who is his target? Toru Yano. The feud that no one ever asked for, and probably will ever ask for. Just watching this, that, that weird no DQ match they had at Lone Star Show, like, like I'm sorry, did I switch feeds? Is this bloody, is this Joey Janela's spring break already? I don't remember agreeing to this. The best bit of this match, because like, my, my big complaint about these US shows that happened recently is the crowd are poorly lit and poorly fucking mic'd. So, it sounds like they're unenthusiastic, even though we can tell that most of them are. But, there's a point where yeah, I don't get sat on a chair by Joey Janela and he starts wrapping this tape around him and you can hear for clear as day one guy loudly shout Joey, what's the safe word? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that fucking broke me. Oh, well, that was a good one. Uh, I should mention about what a, uh, the most recent Will Ospreay match. Of course it broke the bloody five star thing again. Like, I think it was five and three quarters this time around. So, I mean, no surprise. It's a day ending in wide. Osprey wrestled. So, of course, he got more than five stars. And, of course, he's well and truly broken that record. And there's quite a big gap between him and second place at this stage. That's it. It's just there is no no contest at all. Uh, when I was talking about Roma, I forgot, almost completely forgot to mention. Roma's been dicking about in DDT at the minute. <laughs> Uh, so Hiromu at some point in the Tour to Perishuggle became the DDT Ironman Heavy Metalweight Champion which if you don't know it's it's pretty much a, a 24-7 stale belt uh, but it's actually entertaining on like the Ravies version of it and he's a runabout with people trying to fit him but the young lions have been trying to, to fit him Ishimori tried to get him and I to successfully defend the belt up until the most recent show DDT Ultimate Party 2023 was the show that happened recently. Now let me describe to you what happened. So, Also, weirdly, on the same card, you have Hiromu Takahashi in a title match. You have Matt Cardona in a title match and a featured match including Chris Jericho. So that goes to show you how weird DDT can be. But here's what happened. So Hiromu successfully defends the title against Kazuki Harita. I hope I got that right. NA, and I'm reading this verbatim. A dramatic dream round. Let's have fun. What will happen? Fun death match. 
where apparently there's like five different rounds, which whoever won in the fifth round, the rounds are a musical situation death match, two-on-one handicap match, blindfold bra match, dancing death match. Oh, there's two dancing death matches. But Hiromu got the win, and he was lying on the ground with the junior heavyweight title across him. The referee made the cover. The IWGP junior heavyweight title belt became the DDT Ironman heavyweight champion. And then Kazuki, despite losing to Hiromu, pinned the junior title and became the new Ironman champion. That's just honestly when you re- when you when you see it and then you read it you're like no, this can't be real and then you see it and there's oh it is mental like you want an example how weird the title can be like inanimate objects can win the belt but they uh, somebody Robbie E once placed the title on top of a ladder somebody climbed up and took it down so under a ladder match rules that person won the title the title itself has become the champion so the title itself won itself because so we got super kicked. The title landed on it, and somebody counted. I also love that belt for how wild it gets, and all the little videos that come along with it. It's like it just people thought the Twitter, like the Iron Man Heavyweight Championship, is what the Twitter Four Seven title wishes it was. You know, I never thought we'd get a chance to properly talk about DET on this show, but I also mentioned that Mao uh, defeated Matt Cardona to become the DET Universal Champion in a no DQ match. And Chris Jericho and Tuko and Konosuke to catch in the semi-main event. Mostly everything that they've been doing in AEW with the Don Callis family, beating Kenny Omega on multiple occasions, twice in one week, once in a tag match, and once in a very long, uh, clean lane, a very long singles match all out. The wins in multi-man matches, uh, you know, Wrestle Dream, things like that. So, of course, it makes sense for Chris Jericho to uh, go to Konosuke to catch his home promotion and beat him in 23 minutes with the Lion Tamer. Which I did not expect, and on the back of that, Jericho is now wanting to wrestle other people in Japan, mm. including Suzuki. I mean, it's, I mean, it's been inevitable that the Suzuki gods would break up eventually, and that Suzuki would batter Jericho, which I hope he does. I mean, look at the two of them; they are both relatively, and they are both in their fifties now, and Suzuki looks a hell of a lot better, moves a lot quicker than Jericho thinks he does. Yeah, that like that's it. Like Suzuki would actually wreck him just by looking at him. Like it's like it's like, it's like Nigel Powers. You don't even <laughs> have a name. You don't even have a name tag. Just just lie down. Oh, useful tag, yeah, useful. But I mean, the big win for Jericho, uh, or for me regarding Jericho, is that he showed up in Japan and didn't come out as a fucking pain maker. We managed to avoid that train wreck. Uh uh, we're going to have a couple of things to preview here. Uh, I've got the Wrestle Kingdom card as we see it now, which actually seems pretty stacked. I think this is going to be the finalised version. And we have both blocks of the World Tag. The first thing they went to two blocks since 2019. So, do you want me quickly mention, run down the Wrestle Kingdom card or the World Tag? Which one would you prefer I did first? I would say Wrestle Kingdom card first because we've kind of brushed on quite a few bits of it already. So that makes sense to me yeah we, we we are going to do our traditional you know prediction show which we'll probably record in december may release just a couple of days before wrestle game so we'll go into these a lot more depth uh, when we get there but this is as we stand uh we've got sonada versus naito for the IWGB world heavyweight championship hiromu versus el desperado for the junior heavyweight title catch 3-2 will challenge 
uh, Clark Connors and Dan Maloney for the junior tag team titles. We have Osprey versus Moxley versus Finlay in a match of the three men with Ys. And uh, why are we doing this? Why are we wrestling for a new title match? Uh, we have Tamatonga and Shingo Takagi in a match for the Never Openweight title. We have Okada Danielson 2, special singles match. We'll have Bishon 1 defend the IWGB heavyweight titles against the eventual winners of the World Tag League. We have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tanahashi for the, uh, for the TV Championship. Well, not announced. You can probably expect it to be announced soon enough. The KOPW Ramble will probably be happening very soon. And I just slip in a match I want to see happen, but it's probably never going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom. I want to see a Suji a singles match on the big stage. And so fuck it, put it on Wrestle Kingdom, I say. I, I actually think that'd be a great one. You could have that as a fantastic opener to the main card. Because mm-hmm. they've already confirmed, I'm pretty sure that they said there's not going to be any women's matches on the Kingdom card this coming year. Yeah. Uh, well, the only thing we'd see is probably a random IWGP women's title defence. You know, given last year's affair when they only got five minutes so they could set up an angle, maybe best that they don't get it because, you know, they get better time on stardom shows and on US shows, so let them be featured on shows they'll get proper time on. So it's, it's definitely... This is not the worst-looking Kingdom card we've had. Oh, no, that is, that is a freaking stack card. And even like last year, they had quite a few tie matches because like, they got they got used to doing quite a few multi-man matches during the era of two-night Wrestle Kingdoms. But even last year, when we had two tie team title matches and we had bloody the great uh, retirement match or whatever the hell it was that they were doing. So uh, to see this many singles matches and really the only multi-matches are the two tag title ma- matches, probably the Rambo, which will probably be on the pre-show. And you got a very rare triple threat match for New Japan. I, I think like, this is looking a very stacked Wrestle Kingdom. And just reading out, I'm already very excited. Yep, I am totally on board for this one. Even though we don't know the first half of we don't know one half of the heavyweight title match yet. Also, we're going to have the tournament to decide that. And also, one of the matches of the Ramble isn't announced yet. To see this much of the card, pretty much 90, 90 95% finalised this far out from the from January 4th, it's actually surprising to me. Yep. Who would have thought? <laughs> Even yeah. we get surprised. Booking well in advance. <laughs> but yeah, but starting on Monday the 20th of... In November, I believe it runs during the 10th of December, we will have the World Tag League Tournament. Two blocks, uh, winners of both blocks face in the finals, and the winners will face Bishamon for the title. Now, we have eight teams in each block. I'm going to run you down right now. And the teams that don't have official names, I'm going to try and do my best to give you a name right off the top of my head. I can't I guarantee they'll all be great. All right. In A block, we have TMDK, The War Dogs, Evil and Yujiro. Otherwise, otherwise known as fallbacks. <laughs> that's how that's how the house of torture works, you know. It is like a it is like a, it is like the undercarriage of a person. They are the balls. Dick Togo is the dick. She is the taint, and Kanemaru is the arsehole. <laughs> that is an absolute grim image that I'm never going to get in my mind now. You're welcome. We have Shota Umino teaming with Ren Narita and a team I I actually thought was going to be put together for this tournament. I'll, come, I'll circle back to their name. We have Ishii and Toriyama representing Chaos. We have the return of the Holy Steaming Army, Hinade and Great Okan. We have <laughs> one of the most surprising announcements for me, the Gates of Agony, uh, two-thirds of the six-man tag team 
champions and Ring of Honor members of the Mongol Embassy taking part. And we have the team of Rohe Oiwa and Kaito Kiyomiya teaming up as Team Noah, or the Noah Boys. Uh, and B-Block, we have the current tag team champions, uh, B-Show, and we have the strong tag team champions, ELP and Hikaleo. We have Bad Luck Valley teaming with a guy called Jack Bonza, or as I've called them, the General and the Hobo. <laughs> we have Taichi teaming with Yuya Yuamura, a team I'm calling Dangerous Storm. We have uh, Suji teaming with a mystery part of someone from his Mexican days who's just been billed as Z so far, so we don't know who that is, so can't really think of anything right now. We have Yuji Naga and Suzuki teaming up, and uh, the angry the angry old men, as I'm calling them. We have Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. Uh, teaming up, and Team El Hio de Men in the Masks. <laughs> They're both juniors, you see. And the final team running at B-Block is Monster Sauce. So, I've been thinking of it, Shota and Ren, we have been workshopping names for those two. Uh, my options are two out of three, it's two out of the three new musketeers, or sons Sons of Roughneck style, or Sons of Rough, Sons of Rough style, or Sons of Roughneck, something like that. <laughs> They're not all bangers, I'll admit. I think you missed out on a great name for Bad Luck Fally and Jack Bonza. Since Fally is meant to be the army and Jack Bonza looks like a homeless guy and it must be a charity case, I would call them the Salvation Army. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I was looking at Taichi and like, what can I call them? Then I was like, oh, we had Dangerous Taker, so. So we do a Yuya, a ah, Dangerous Storm, which also sounds like the finisher you give to your creator wrestler. Dangerously handsome. Mm, yes. So that is your lineup for World Tag League. I'm happy to see two blocks again. And I can imagine if they, somebody, you, you told somebody, oh, there's a tag team who wrestle for motion under the ownership of Tony Khan. That's right. It's the Gates of Agony. Like, of all the things that Tony Khan could own them, the fucking gates of agony. <laughs> I'm not against it, if I'm honest with you. The few times I've actually seen gates of agony wrestle in like six man matches, they, they do seem to wrestle as a pretty decent tag team. I mean, not immediately my first choice, maybe not even my 25th choice for World Tag League, but. You know, I'll I'll take them. You know, I'm not complaining about it. You know, those worst teams they could have given us. But you know, it's just one less Ring of Honor talent for for Tony to think about because he clearly doesn't care about that stuff. But you know, as I said before, I think Bloody Aussie Open would have been here had Mark Davis not got injured. I think you're right. Aussie Open would have been it. I still think they've missed out on a golden opportunity. They could have got Brody King and and Murphy in there. Mm, probably, but you know, I think. Try to think, what is it they're actually doing? Oh yeah, no, they've got bloody Brody and Malachi fighting at full gear this weekend. So you know, unless they end up winning the titles, there's no justification for not having House of Black in this. That's it. It would have been. Could you imagine getting the House of Black in there? Mm. That would have been absolutely beautiful. Seeing bloody this random team of like CML guys just randomly put, get put in B block. Uh, is one of the most random ones for me. I was also surprised they put two sets of Titan, both sets of like Titan champions in like one block with Bishwa and Eopi and Hikaleo. And I'm looking around trying to think winners, but 
you know, it's hard, I'm hard, finding it hard to find a winner for B Block. I think A Block is going to come down to Shota and Narita versus TMDK. I think you're on the money there. Um, looking at the, the kind of team lists, it seems to me it's one that I would put money on. Uh, is anyone in B Block stands out as potential winners? Uh, I think Suji and Z, they're kind of putting on, uh, like, there, there's something interesting there. Like, there's a random person with Suji in that. It, it's a double edged knife. It's either going to be an amazing team that I'm going to back all the way, or I'm going to horrifically regret my choice right now. Yeah. I mean, before he won the Never title, I think I would have said, oh, like, Suji and Shingo would be in a, a lock to be in this tournament but I think given that they put Shingo and they never seen no they are sticking to that rules if you're challenging for a title or in some sort of other match at risk you're not in the World Tag League so they had to find another part for Suji I would actually say that uh, Taichi and Yuya I think if they're really serious about you know, getting Yuya over they might give him and Taichi a really solid run in this tournament Hell, I'd even like to see maybe them versus ELP and Hikaleo in a kind of decider match for, for the block Although in terms of an actual winner, I'm still finding it hard to find the the overall winner. But I like the idea they're going to do this on again, off again potential partnership with Shota and Narita. And you know what? That might be the boldest pick of all. I would not be surprised if they won the whole thing. No, it would not be the biggest shock of them all. At all. I mean, one of the biggest guarantees is that Bishamon aren't going to win because they don't need to win because they've already got their place guaranteed via being the champions. That's it. Who'd have thought? <laughs> but uh, some interesting matches here. I mean, I'm assuming Bullet Club Borders is going to fuck up for everybody, no matter who they face during this. And you got quite a few tough teams, like you got Hanari and Okan in the same uh, walk as you know, Kate Zavagni trying to portray themselves as monsters. You've got them in the same block as Ishii and everything and then I didn't Ishii like face up with the water I was like I'm not putting up with any of your shites that's it absolutely not get this pish away <laughs> I know there's a small part of me that would love TMDK to walk away with this but I'm trying to remember what I said in the last one where it seems like New Japan just don't have the the intention of ever seemingly giving them the world tag team titles even though they came very close to qualifying for the finals in the last tournament no, just going to keep it always out just always at reach little breadcrumbs and I think weirdly one of my most anticipated matches of B Block is seeing Nagata and Suzuki versus Monster Sauce oh yes <laughs> hey, I don't know about you Grant but uh, World Tiger hasn't been exactly my favourite tournament of the last couple of years but the idea, I mean, some teams I w- wouldn't have been my first choice to be in it, but a, a diverse enough field going back to two blocks and you know, giving them the tournament more time, I think this could be one of the better World Tag Leagues we might have in a lot of time, just by virtue of having you know, solid crowds and, like I said, more diverse competition. Yeah, the, like, the, the single block format, really, there's no excuse for it anymore at this, day and, at this day and age. There's enough talent out there to make it a big stay with the two blocks. Definitely. So we will be back in December to cover our World Tag League. We're break it all down and any developments that happen. Because the providing, no, excusing anything that happens on the undercar of the World Tag League final, like I said, I think our Wrestle Kingdom car is well and truly set in motion. Uh, so we'll have 
our episode about the world tag league breaking out down ahead of Wrestle Kingdom. Also coming in December, we will have our Christmas special. I'm still intending it to be the special and just five guys. We'll still have to talk about Kanamaru, even though he's no longer in the group, but we'll still have to talk about him. He's important to the history of the group. Dick. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> we get to talk about Yuya now as part of the group, and that means getting to talk about Joya. Joya! As Veda Scott said, the Thai team that, that never was. Uh, isn't that the tryst? But we're going to have that. We're going to have our Wrestle Kingdom prediction show either towards the almost, it'll either be the very last thing you hear from the SSR in 2023 or the first thing you hear in 2024, depending when we get it out. God, let it be one more show. <laughs> more show. One more show. So basically, just like last year, in December, you're getting a hearty helping of East Meets West content, whether you want to or not. You are getting that in your stocking, and you will enjoy it. I mean, you'll have plenty to enjoy in late, towards the end of this month into December, because and because recently we've got a we had the Bray Wyatt feature show come out in October. We just had the Roddy Piper feature show come out. We're going to have episodes of Central all through into December. We're going to have it's a Saturday Night Live as a new season takes, starts up just after Survivor Series. We're going to have a Rhea Ripley feature show. I'm going to host that uh, coming up next month. Uh, we're going to have, like I said, three episodes across December and January of uh, East Meets West. And then uh, in late January, we're going to have me and Grant reviewing Wrestle Kingdom itself, otherwise known as the most glorious card of the wrestling calendar. It's a beautiful time to be alive. Mm-hmm. But the time of the live is we get to see again. It's, it, it can't be stated enough. We're going to see Okada versus Brian Danielson in the Tokyo Dome. I cannot fucking wait for that. Oh, I can't get here quick enough. But until then, stay tuned for all that content I just mentioned. Uh, it'll be available on all good Android fucking seats, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, where you get your podcasts from. Check out the stuff that's already coming out, like the Roddy Paper Show, like the Bray White Show, like our past Christmas special on the Great O'Can, all hail, uh, to get you prepared and get you in the fist spit out ahead of our next Christmas special. You can get that in the back catalogue. Well, keep up to date with us and all the content we've got coming up in the future on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I think. Uh, join the community page, get involved in questions when we ask them for Central. Give your thoughts about the people who are profiling in the future. Give us your memories, your favourite matches and moments from them. And all that, stay tuned to Eat Sleep Super Street. We're just we're piling out the content to end 2018. Hopefully, more and more to come 2024. Grant, this has been a long ass show. I need to go lie down and rest up for a busy month ahead. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for joining me again. It has been a pleasure, and we went a whole episode. I've got to mention them at least once. Hello, David Campbell. We know you're listening. Uh, he'll probably look <laughs> way to the end just to hear his name mentioned. You're welcome. Bye bye. Folks, it's out. It's out for you to listen to. It's the Roddy Piper feature show. Go and listen to that panel. They break down his legendary career. How important was he to the first WrestleMania? They talk about it. That IC title match with with Bret Hart. Oh, yes, they talk about it. You know, go and check out. It's a great breakdown on the career of the great Roddy Piper. Go and give it a listen. Podcast Network.